So church, this morning, I'm going to attempt to do something that may make you very nervous, but I promise you I'm going to get through it um, efficiently. We're going to cover three chapters of 1 Samuel this morning. And, uh, and I know that makes you nervous because on, on like five verses I can tend to go long, but I promise we're going to make this happen. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to see God round this out, this idea that I, I pray that we would lean into this morning as we continue this series, week three of our series, Who is King? As we contemplate the idea of who is king, you know, for the, them in the Old Testament, the place that Samuel was trying to bring them to and what the whole book of First and Second Samuel is about is about helping them understand that no matter who is on the throne, Yahweh Yahweh is king, that God is king, and that any kingship established is kingship that God has ordained or chosen in himself. And so uh, this morning, we're going to lean into this text and begin to kind of see the transition that we talked about. Now, remember, up to this point, Israel has not had a king. They have been ruled by judges and prophets and these people that have stepped into this place of leadership to guide and direct the people into the places and the direction that they would go. And this morning we see that transition begin to happen. We see the people of God begin to get the king that they've asked for. You know, and, and we remember from last week as we talked about how that transition happened, that the things that they were rejecting and that God even says to Samuel, he says that they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me because of this idea, this system that they want to uphold, this system that they want to take part in, that I, God was creating his people to be different and his people just constantly kept begging to be like everybody else. And so God begins to work this out with his people. Uh, and, and we'll begin to see some really just awesome things play out as even in the midst of his people's rejection, God is still working in the midst of his people, working for the good of his people. And he does that by making leaders, that God makes leaders, God cultivates leaders, and that for our families, for our churches, for our workplaces, for our communities, that they are in desperate need of leaders cultivated in the way that God can only do. And so this morning, I want us to see this. If you could, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter, uh, chapter 9 is where we'll be at first. But the thing that I want us to kind of remember, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is that any leadership in any place of authority is all established by God. The Bible is very clear that there is no person in any place that is not there because God has ordained it or God has allowed it. Okay, nothing catches God off guard, nothing surprises God, nothing works outside of God's plan. Romans 13, 1 says that let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God or have been established by God. So there is no authority in any position that is not established or chosen by God. And, and we, we can relate that in the text, it's talking about the governing bodies, but even within our, the context of where we're going, to, we're going to be speaking of this morning in individual leadership, for, for me as a husband, for my, for my wife, as a mother, and for me as a father, for you as, as spouses and those type of places, uh, relating it to your specific situation, that in that place of leadership, in that place of authority, in that place of, of influence, that God has placed us there for a reason. That God has an, intent, an intention for us and a thing to do with us. And that even in their rejection here in 1 Samuel, God is still working amidst the people and working for the people. But remember that the person that God has chosen is, in, is the people's choice is the people's choice uh, for who they would want. And, you know, and, and, and the thing is that God takes, the thing that God does with people and places and creating leadership, he says that he takes those 
who are lesser and makes them into leaders. I thank God that he's done that in my life because I can promise you, I can promise you in my life I have been much lesser than a leader. But God has takes us and he molds us and he shapes us and he calls us to this idea that he moves us to be as far as leaders. And the way that we understand and the way that we rest in is not in our own strength to function in that leadership, but in the strength and the goodness of who God is. And this is where in 1 Samuel we'll see Samuel the prophet bringing Saul, who will be the king, the established king that he'll, he'll, uh, he'll take into rule here shortly in the text. He'll take Saul and he'll begin to cultivate him into this leader. And, and the way that this applies for us is, is from an, kind of an understanding of what a leader is. And so a simple definition of what a leader is, is a leader is a director of or an inspiration for action. And so in a lot of ways, maybe you say, well, I don't direct anybody's life. I don't direct any kind of event. I don't direct any kind of action. But for every single one of us, we are the inspiration for action. Everything that we do is an inspiration for action for someone who is seeing us and, and, and seeing how we live and seeing how we work and seeing how we function, seeing how we talk, all those things. I tell my boys all the time, the younger one acts like the older one and the older one's annoyed by how the younger one acts. But I tell him, well, he only acts like that because that's how you acted and that's how you treated your brother. So he's just learning from you. And so there's always someone viewed as a leader in every single one of us, church. You have someone in your life. I promise you there is someone in your life maybe even just acquaintances that you interact with that view you in, the, in, the, in the, the view of a leader that is inspiring the way that they perceive something, inspiring the way that they act, inspiring the way that they live by, based off of how you are and who you are and how you live. And so this morning as we get into 1 Samuel chapter 9, I want us to see the things that God does with people to establish leaders. And that the th these are the things that God wants to do in our life to begin to mold us into the leaders we can be for our kids, the leaders we can be for our spouses, the leaders we can be for the people around us in our workplaces. How does God make those leaders to be influencers? We are all influencers in some capacity. And so in, maybe in that you don't feel like you're adequate, you don't feel like you're capable, you don't feel like you're equipped. And what we'll see from this text and, and the theme of the Bible is that no one God calls or uses is ever ready or equipped or qualified. That we don't do the qualifying, God does the qualifying. And so God does that in our lives and we'll see that play out for Saul as he's established as king over God's people. So the first thing that I want us to see this morning is the way that God makes a leader is he does it by establishing it first in private. God makes a leader by establishing it in private. You know, and how he does that for Saul specifically is he begins to break down the walls and the barriers that may be keeping Saul from stepping into the role that he has. One of the things that we'll constantly see from Saul is his doubts. We'll see Saul's fears. We'll see Saul's uh, concerns for his inadequacy. All these things continue to come up. And so what we see even here in the beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, when Samuel has begun to tell Saul, hey, look, this is because God has interacted, he's, he's made, he's intervened and he's made this whole situation where Saul is looking for his father's donkeys and, and God comes to Samuel and he tells Samuel, hey, look, there's going to be a guy that's going to come into town uh, whose father is Kish and he is going to be the one you establish as king. So God's already intervened. He's already made the plan. He's already made the place. And so in this, Samuel has begun to tell Saul, hey, look, you're going to be king. God is going to fulfill all these promises to show you that you are the man that he's chosen 
And that it's in that confidence that you'll step forward. It's in that, in God giving you a new heart, in God giving you his spirit, in God giving you the things that you need to step into that. And so Saul's response in the midst of that, I believe, is not far off of where we respond in times as, as, as who we are in our life and the place that we have of leadership, uh, whether that's direct leadership or indirect leadership in some way, shape, or form, that we might respond. And this is how Saul says in 1 Samuel 9, 21, he says, Am I not a Benjam Benjaminite? From the least of the tribes of Israel. And is not my clan the humblest or the smallest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Saul is recognizing. Saul is recognizing his cultural identity and how it doesn't make sense for his calling. You know, Samuel has shared with him, these are the things that I will have you do. And these are the things God's going to do on your behalf. And Saul's response is, who am I for that? Who am I for that? He says, I'm from the smallest tribe. And even within that, the most insignificant of that tribe, you know, the least of that tribe. How could you talk to me in this way that you think that in any way I could lead your people? And so for us, how we would respond, God, how do you see in any way that I could lead my family? How do you see in any way that I could lead my kids? How do you see in any way I could lead my friends or my coworkers into the place that you would have me to lead them and to go? But the thing that we have to understand this is God's MO throughout the whole Bible that for, for, for leaders is that the least of the least is who he calls. Those who no one would expect, those who would not have the abilities or the qualifications or the blood ties or anything like that. These are the people God has called. And this is God reminding us that there is no one who is insignificant to the purpose of God. There is no place that you are, no sin that has taken you too far to step into the role that God has calling you individually to step into. The individual place of leadership that he has for you. The individual place of influence that he has for you. And so what's significant about the tribe of Benjamin? I think it's clear that we make this, this known because, you know, for him to just say that, that doesn't mean anything to us. But if we understand the context of who the tribe of Benjamin was and what they had done, we would know why Saul would say this. Why would you choose me? And so Benjamin tells him uh, the, the tribe of Benjamin was a small tribe and in, 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 uh, in, in, in the history is kind of mentioned in the book of Judges and the type of people that they were. The Bible, book of Judges tells us is a type of people that were doing what was right in their own eyes. So the tribe of Benjamin was people that were self-centered. They were selfish. They did things the way they wanted to do things, even though they were a part of God's fold and a part of God's people. They were a people known for rebellion. They were a people known for doing their own thing. And so not only that, but moving forward, they actually started a civil war, a revolt against the other tribes of Israel. So the other 11 tribes of Israel, they came up against them. They, they came up against them. And, uh, and caused a, a, a war. And within that war, they were almost completely annihilated. That's why they're the smallest tribe, is because they, they were almost completely annihilated because of their rebellion. Eventually, they were reestablished into the fold of God's people. But not only were they known for selfishness and rebellion, they were known for, for only being considerate of themselves, for, for the war, for being small and insignificant. And God looks into that space and he says, this is the guy. This is the guy we're going to use. This is the guy. You know, so Saul knew that he was an unlikely choice. And so a sense of fear, a sense of inadequacy to accomplish the tasks that he had, had to have been overwhelming him. And that's why he would say these things. I'm, I'm a Benjaminite. Like, why would you choose me? Like, do you know where I come from? Do you know the people that I come from? Like, why would you think that I'm that guy? 
But we have to remember, we have to remember that God's not called us to do things from our reputation or our righteousness, but from His. And I love this quote from Francis Chan. He said, Our greatest fear should not be the failure of... Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. God is calling Saul to a much bigger purpose in his life than hunting his father's donkeys that are lost. He says, I have something so big for you. You know, he says, the thing is, he says, it's, and I love that quote, just this idea of that it's not so much that we're afraid of failure, but the thing we should be afraid of is succeeding at things that don't really matter in life. There are so many things that we pour ourselves into, so many things that are important and vital in our lives that takes so much of our time, so much of our attention. They're robbing us of the experience of really walking in the place of influence that God has called us to. And yet we may be successful at those things, accomplished at those things. But where, where is the value? And where's the value? And that's what Samuel, uh, God will begin to work through Saul about helping him reorient his mind to what God is wanting to do with him. You know, and the thing we have to understand about Saul, not only was he from this place uh, that was insignificant and, real, and small and would not have seemed like the place for this king to come from, but also it's obvious from the text that Saul was not much of a spiritual guy. You know, when they're actually hunting the donkeys in 1 Samuel 9, it tells us that they actually ask about, well, maybe the, the prophet in the area can help us. They didn't even know Samuel's name. Samuel would have been the one and his people, the, the priest would have been the one leading uh, the worship, leading the offerings, leading the sacrifices. And they didn't know these people. They didn't know where to find them. And so it shows us, and, the, and Benjamin was not far from where Samuel is at. And so Saul has no clue even who Samuel is. And so that reveals to us that Saul in himself was not a spirit spiritual person. But God still leans into this man to make him a leader. You know, and, and the way that he does that is through influencers taking what they have and being an influence. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 21, we see Samuel tell Saul, he says, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Establishing leadership begins in private. And I love in this moment where Samuel leans into Saul's life and he says, look, I know where you come from and I know what you feel like you don't know and you don't, you don't feel like you fit into this role. But let me share with you the very word of God because this is the thing. This is the, the power at which you'll move forward. This is the place at which you'll accomplish the things that you have to accomplish in front of you is from the word of God. Church, everything we do as far as being a leader and, and an influencer in our lives or in our circles is from and established in the Word of God. It has to be. I say this week after week. The only infallible thing, the only forever thing that I will ever tell you is what I read straight from this book. The words that I say in my opinions and the things that I try to teach you, they may fall flat at times. God's Word will sustain. God's Word will carry on. And so when Samuel tells all this, he says, hey, look, stop everything before we move forward anywhere and let me share with you the word of God. Established leaders, great leaders must be molded by God's word. That's where it begins. 
And I love that, that after these moments, after, after they've had this conversation, after Saul, uh, Samuel is just pouring into Saul's life, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. We, I love this verse, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. It says, And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. And when they, in verse 10, it says, And when they had come to, to Gibba, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him. You know, after he stepped away from Samuel, he began to take his steps of faith, moving into the direction that God would have for him. It says that the, God gave him another heart. You know, and now we have to understand that in the Old Testament, the way that God's Spirit worked is it would come upon people, it would empower them, give them the ability to step into what God had for them, and then the Spirit of God could leave them. It's a different covenant that they were functioning under, whether the covenant that we function under now, the covenant of grace, where God's Spirit dwells us and never leaves us. For them, the Spirit would come and would go. And so for right now, the Spirit of God has rested upon Saul to give him the, 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 the abilities he needs to accomplish the task that he has. God has chosen this man to do a work for God's people. He is equipping him, bringing him to this place of reliance to accomplish things only God could truly accomplish. And I love that it's as he stepped away from Samuel so that his dependence for his change was not from Samuel. He stepped away from Samuel. And so his, his dependence for change came from God. God gave him a new heart. God gave him new desires. God gave him new abilities. God gave him what he needed to step into the place that God would have him. C.S. Lewis said this, Relying on God has to start all over every day as if nothing has yet been done. You know, and so this, this, this one moment is a defining moment in Saul's life. But as we'll learn about Saul moving forward, Saul will make mistakes. Saul will fall. Saul will begin to turn away from that reliance. But in this moment, God is using Saul. God is molding Saul and, and bringing Saul to this place of reliance to begin to step into the work that he asked for him. So not only is a leader established first in private, God breaking down walls, God putting people in paths to help mold us, to make us into who God's called us to be. But then also is a, for a leader, a leader is proven in public. A, God, a leader is established in private, but he is proven in public. You know, and the thing, as I say that, I hope that we can understand that I'm not saying that it's flashy. I'm not saying that we put ourselves out there like the Bible talks about. The Pharisees would stand on street corners and they would make proclamations and they would pray out loud just for the sake of people seeing them and people, uh, people knowing that they're very spiritual and they're very accomplished. And, but what God is telling us and what we'll see from this text is that proving a public is for the public's sake, not for my sake, not for, for the sake of what I'm accomplishing or what, what I'm being known for, but what God's being known for and what God can do through other people in the midst of that. 1 Samuel ch chapter 10, verse 16, we see some more of, of Saul's fears present themselves. You know, and this will be a constant theme for Saul moving forward. As we'll see him kind of go back and forth at first between fear and confidence until later on when his fear and his worries will begin to overtake him. But here in the beginning we see his fear of this public place, this public expression of what God is doing. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 16, you know, he's come back from seeing Samuel. He's come back to his family. And it says, And Saul said to his uncle, after his uncle asked him what happened, Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. 
But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. So Saul had had this experience, this private experience of what God was showing him, what God was doing for him. And the very first opportunity that he had to begin to share that, he didn't say anything. He didn't even mention it. He mentioned everything about the situation, everything that had happened, but he, re- he did not mention the most vital thing. I mean, the, this huge thing that you would think like, hey, this is a pretty big deal. I'm going to be the king of all Israel. He withheld that information. You know, and I, I think with all my heart, and I know it because I've experienced it in my own life, that there is so much God is doing with us in private that we're afraid to reveal in public because of fear because of maybe our inadequacy, maybe because we feel that we don't measure up to this calling that God's called us to. And maybe for Saul, that was his, his problem. Like still having in his mind, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a nobody. I'm the least of the least. How could God use me in this way? I'm embarrassed to even say what they're asking me to do because I'm not qualified for that. I'm not that. I'm not good enough for that. I believe for many of us here this morning that our problem is, is that we rest in this fear and we're afraid, even like for Saul, it's closest family. We're afraid of how they're going to react. How are they going to look at me? How are they going to treat me? How is this situation going to play out? You know, he was unwilling to make public what God was doing in private. Church, I pray that we would navigate that with confidence in knowing that God has chosen us for a reason. God has chosen each of you in the place that you are to be the Christian in the place that you are for a reason. And it's not about recognition, but it's about personal acceptance. The moment that you begin, the thing about Saul, the moment that he would have mentioned, hey, look, this is what God has called me to do. This is who God's called me to be, is the moment that in reality it becomes real, right? When we talk about things, that's when they become real. You know, that, that's when we really begin to own them. That's when we really know, like, okay, I've put it out there. It's not just me anymore that knows this, but someone else knows this. And so now they can step alongside me in this. And where a lot of times we're afraid to make those mentions and make those communications because we know if someone else knows, then I really have to follow through with this. If I tell someone, hey, look, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the church. I believe in, in God's calling for my life to lead my family in this way. We're going to start going to church or we're going to start doing this or start doing that we're going to step out in this situation that we begin to say, well, if I say that, then now people can hold me accountable to that. Now people can look at me and they can say, hey, listen, you said you were doing this, but but you're not really doing this. And so what's up? You know, and there's a lot of fear that comes with the the accountability that we have. But and, and I get it and I understand it. But the thing that we have to always be reminded of is, listen, God is always going to be a lot more patient with us than people are. And listen, we, you may fall. At times, you may make mistakes. I mean, you know, as, as we move into David later on after Easter, we'll start talking about David. David makes mistakes. As the second king of Israel, David makes mistakes. But what does God do? God gives him, God is patient with him. God works with him. God molds him. God is attempting and wanting to do the same thing with us in our lives. That is, we're reluctant to be public about what God maybe is doing with us in private because of the fear of accountability, because of the fear of our inadequacy, that God is telling us 
hey, listen, I'm going to be patient with you. Listen, people may hold you to a standard that is unfair. That is the, the culture of the church is that they will always hold you to a standard that is impossible, that will keep you constantly under a rock, constantly under captivity. When God says, listen, I'm accepting of your mistakes. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that the righteous will fall seven times, but they'll get back up. You know, seven times seems like a, a small number. Well, that's not many chances, but we understand the significance of the number seven in the Bible means much more than just once or twice or seven times. God is patient with us in our problems. God is patient with us in our failures. And we can't allow the fear of the people publicly reacting to what we proclaim to believe. Because listen, it's going to come. The public criticism, the pub, and the enemy uses that around us to keep us from walking in the calling that God has for us. Don't be afraid to be an influencer because you're afraid of the public response or the family response or the people's response to what you say you believe in the path that you want to begin to follow. Understanding that there will always be a harsher standard from the people around you than there will be the God that you serve. But we have to be stepping out and allowing what we believe about God to be a public representation we can't live like something is real to us and it only manifests in private. We can't live that way. You know, because the, the, the things that we treat that way in our lives, if we're honest, are our bad habits. We, we keep those things in private and the people in public don't know it. The things we are ashamed of. And it's also the things that we're not confident in. You know, I believe that most of us don't keep our faith conf in private because we're, we feel like it's a bad habit or it's a bad thing. A lot of us, we keep it in private because we're just not confident in it. You know, we feel like we should know more or do better in certain areas. But man, God says, step out. Step out. This was a perfect situation for Saul to say, hey, you know what? We found the donkeys, thankfully. But even bigger than that, God has called me to a task in my life. God has called me to do something so much bigger than I would have ever thought he could do with me. And listen, the place of influencer or leader in your life is a, is a job, is a responsibility, is a calling that is so much bigger and so much more vital and valuable than anything else we'll do in our lives. So much bigger than anything else we'll do in our life. Embracing the role we've been called to, not being afraid of stepping out differently or acting differently. And you know, and God has given us some opportunities within the church to do that. Baptism is a perfect example. It's a pr public proclamation of what God has done privately. What God has done in our hearts, we're stepping out in front of our peers and the people around us and saying, I'm a believer in Christ. I believe I am my sins were buried with him in the grave and that I'm risen to new life with him. You know, that, that and loving others is a public example of what God is doing privately within us. Faithful living is a public example of what God is doing within us. It is a manifestation of our salvation in a public expression. The manifestation of our salvation is a public expression of what God is doing with us. And so not only do we see that one moment where Saul is, is afraid, but then later on, right as Saul is beginning to be uh, put up in, in his position to be affirmed before the people publicly in 1 Samuel chapter 22, if you could go to that with me, 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, it says, So they inquired again of the Lord, is, the, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. As he is preparing to be presented before the people as king, he comes to this point where they're searching for Saul. They can't find him. And so they go to the Lord. Samuel goes to the Lord and he says, where is this man at? And the Lord says that he's hiding among the baggage. Sealed that fear showing itself 
and Saul keeping him from publicly stepping into what God's called him to. You know, in this, this, this baggage or supplies or equipment that it talks about here, he's talking about him hiding out in this storage or this collection of possessions to avoid it all. You know, and, and for, for Saul, he's focusing on his inadequacies. And the thing that I've known in my own life is when we begin to focus on our inadequacies, it leads us into isolation. It leads us into this place. As Saul, he begins to hide among the baggage. And for us, how many of us are hiding among the baggage of our lives, hiding among the possessions of our life, that we're keeping ourselves from stepping into the role of influencer or leader in our Christian life that God's called us to because... We're afraid because we fear inadequacies or fear the, uh, the accountability that we're just hiding among our stuff. And listen, when I say that, I, I'm, I have so many things on my mind, even in my own life, that I found myself hiding amongst, whether it's our jobs, whether it's the things that keep us busy, whether it's our kids, whether it's our hobbies. There's these things, our baggage, our possessions that we are hiding among to keep from stepping out into the role that God has for us. For many of us, you, we, could, we could live our whole lives hiding among the possessions that we have, hiding among the, the life that we have, and never experience what it's like to step into the place of influencer or leader that God has called each and every one of us to be. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 7, he tells him here, he says that, Saul, Saul, Samuel tells Saul, do what your hands find to do for God is with you. He's already told him. He's already told him over and over and over again. God is with you. God has chosen you. God has picked you. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10 kind of speaks of the same thing. This is uh, Solomon saying, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. You know, whatever place God has you in, whatever God is doing with you, do it. Knowing that God is with you, that God is for you, that God is working beside you. Samuel even continues to tell Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 24, uh, right down from where we were. He says, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? He is speaking to Saul and he says, do you see him who the Lord has chosen and speaking to the people, helping them understand that God has chosen you. The place that you are in your life this morning, church, God has chosen you to be in that spot as husband, as wife, as employee, as mother, as father, as friend. God has put you in the place that you're at with the people that you are with to be an influencer, to be a leader, to be a person stepping up and reflecting publicly what God is doing with you privately, that God has saved my soul privately. God has redeemed me from my sin. God has brought me back into the fold of his people, but he has not done that just for me. He has done that because he has laid tasks in front of me to take those things and to do them publicly, to influence people publicly based off of what God's done with me privately. God has a task for each and every one of us. You know, the greatest opportunity for discipleship God has given us is the kids that live in our own house. You know, the greatest opportunity for discipleship that God maybe has given you is the co-workers that you see every day or the friends that look up to you, the friends that enjoy to be around you. You have opportunities for influence and leadership every single day. And God is inviting us into that work. And just as Samuel is trying to help communicate to Saul the confidence of his choosing, the confidence of his calling, he's doing the same thing for us. To understand that as a believer, God has chosen you. 
God has picked you out. God has leaned into your life and said, I have you and I've chosen you for a task to be an influencer, to be a leader. John 6 verse 44 says, no one, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. If we have put ourselves into the family of God, if we have depended on God, if we have put our faith in Christ, it says that we're there because he's drawn us in. He's brought us into himself. And so that we can know that as Philippians would tell us that he who began a good work will do it until the day of completion. That God will continue a work that he has started in that very first work he did was drawing you in. If you are here this morning, it's because God is drawing you in. And if he's drawing you in, if he's brought you here, it's because he's chosen you for a task. He's chosen you to be a part of his family. He's chosen you to be a part of his people. All he's waiting for is for us to respond to that call. John 15, 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That you should go and do. Be influencers. You know, and after that, in, in 1 Samuel 10, 26, as he goes out, he says, With him went men of valor whose hearts had been touched by God. Our calling is confirmed publicly by those around us. We play a part in the proving and affirmation of people around us. That's the beauty of the local church. That's why this is so valuable. As much as I love the idea that we have podcasts and I love the idea that we can stream and we can do those type of things and we live in that type of age, nothing replaces the gathering of God's people affirming each other, encouraging each other, telling each other the, the good things about each other and, and instructing each other and, and upholding each other. That's what God has called us to do. That is part of our public expression of what God is doing as we affirm each other's calling with each other. You know, we, we, we speak into each other's lives. We pray for those around us whose hearts are towards the Lord and they walk with us and help step in our faith. You know, and, and as I've in my own life, church, as I've over and over and over again navigated doubts about my faith, navigated fears of, of what God has called me to, I am so thankful to have through that time had men and women of valor around us. You know, and each and every one of us can play that role through our public expression, our public proving, playing that role. And like we said, any time that, that we have that public expression, we pray and we hope for and we be for each other that those men and women of valor that have hearts towards God that can help walk alongside individuals as they navigate their calling and their faith, but also always understanding that there's always going to be the opposition. Even for Saul here in 1 Samuel 27, it says, But some worthless fellow said, How can this man save us? So even though God had established this person, Saul into the position that he would be, even though God was doing all of this, all this proving, there were still those who would question the very task that God had called Saul to. Listen, so always know there's always going to be opposition, and that's the way the enemy works. It's in the doubts of our abilities. That, God step, that, that people will step into our lives and they say, how can you do this? For Saul, they said, how can he save us from the Philistines? How can Saul do, be king over us? How can Saul accomplish the things he has for us? And so the reverberating uh, tr truth that, or the lies that we've been told and that we're, we've convinced ourselves of is how can I be this in my life? How can I be this influencer in my life? How can I be this leader for my family or for the people around me? How can I be this? You know, whether that's been told to us from people around us or we've been our own worst enemy and convinced ourselves of it. There will always be the opposition. There will always be the affirmation and altercation that comes from that. 
Every encouragement comes with some sort of discouragement. Guaranteed, because that's the way the enemy works. The enemy's ideas, the enemy's intentions aren't to prove to us that God doesn't exist. But the enemy's intentions are to prove to us that we either don't need God or that God doesn't need us. And you know what? God doesn't, in a sense, need us, but God does want us. God is calling us. God is inviting us into the task that he has for us. That is the work of the enemy in the world around us. John 15, 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know, that's the beautiful thing of our Savior Jesus is that He has stepped into all our suffering and all our, uh, all our troubles long before we have. And He stands in the midst of it with us. And so, why does this matter for us this morning? And I'll finish up. Because there is an, a place of influence and leadership that each and every one of us this morning have in our lives. That as a Christian, we have a firm foundation to stand on and to be able to move forward because of what God's done with us privately. We have a power to step into the lives of other peoples and see God do something publicly. See God do something magnificent in someone's life. See God do what he has for us. And you know what? Maybe it's not exactly the way that you imagine things going. You know, maybe it's not exactly the things that you feel like you want. But I love this quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I've quoted him a few times before, but he says this. He says, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and the straightest paths to himself. Listen, there is no moment and no steps in faith that are ever wasted. Even when we make mistakes, remember the Bible tells us if we'll acknowledge him, he'll make our path straight. Even those crooked paths that we've taken, if we'll acknowledge him, he says he'll straighten those paths out for us. He'll bring us back to that place where we're finding him. We'll find that place where we're resting in him and begin to walk in the place that he has. And the thing that we need to understand is that the best, best path is the one where we walk in our leading lane. The lane that we have to be leading, to be influencing, to be moving people towards Christ. Not pointing him to ourselves, not pointing to our own strengths or our own abilities, but it's from this place of humility and this place that Saul would step into in humility and begin to be led by the Lord. And early on in Saul's kingship, he was leading people per the Lord. He was bringing people with Samuel's help to repentance, to an understanding of who God was and the power that God had for them. And Saul did such a great job and we even see that in 1 Samuel 12, 14. He says, if both of you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. He, he's telling them, it's Samuel's telling them, if you follow the Lord, if your king follows the Lord, if the person in leadership and influence over you and around you will follow the Lord, it will be well. And we have that responsibility as leaders and influences in our lives that if we will follow the Lord and lead those other people behind us to follow the Lord, that it will be well. And that's what people need to understand, that being a Christian is not just about some religious duties. It's not just about do's and don'ts and, and just what's acceptable and what's good and some kind of moral code. It's about literally walking a path where the God of the universe is on our side and that we can have the confidence that no matter where I am or what I'm going through, whether it's coronavirus or hurricanes or family struggles, that it will be well. Because I'm leading in this way and the people that I'm leading are being led this way. You know, and, and, and Samuel continues to tell him in, in 1 Samuel 12, 16, Therefore, stand still and see this great thing the Lord will do before your eyes. 
You know, anytime the Bible talks to a believer, the worker of God about standing still, what it is, is it's not this idea of not doing anything, but it's understanding that this place of reliance to understand that I'm not the one facilitating the action, but it's a good God that's facilitating the action. And see, spectate. He has invited us to see the great things that he wants to do before your eyes. Isn't that all our desires? To see God do a great thing in our life. To stand in, and I love that he tells them to stand still. And some versions would say, stand in this place. Stand in this place that I've led you to. We have to be there. We have to be taking those steps of faith, being those influencers, being those leaders in our life to be in that place, to begin to see what God is doing. And this comes from obedience. This comes from dependence. This comes from faithful steps coming from our understanding of his promises and a reflection, being a reflection of his provision. And as we really begin to see Saul's kingdom taking strides, we see in 1 Samuel 12, 21, as the instruction, he says, Do not turn aside to empty things that cannot profit or deliver you. Because the greater thing that he's drawing us to and the greater thing that Saul and Samuel in the beginning were leading the people to is this idea that in 1 Samuel 12, 22, He says, for the Lord will not forsake his people. Church, and as influencers and as leaders, as Christians, that is our responsibility to help people understand that there are lesser things that we're giving our lives to that will not profit or deliver us from the struggles of life. But this promise of understanding that God will not forsake his people. And as an influencer for Christ, that's my responsibility. As a leader in my family, that's my responsibility to help them understand That as I'm the the king of my kingdom, that I'm relying on the king of kings. That that he is leading me and that I am leading them. And that in that, that I could have a confidence to know that the Lord will not forsake me and that he will not forsake those that I'm leading. That even when things come against us, even when difficulties come against us, that there is a king of kings, that the God of the universe, the creator and the curator of all things is invested in my life is invested in your life. When we rest in Him, we stand and we see, we will see the things, the great things that He will do before our eyes. I pray that we would desire that. I pray that we would be those people. I pray that we would constantly and confidently step into that role in our life as leaders and influencers for the Lord and His kingdom. Church, let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Father, I just thank you so much that you invite those, the lesser of the less, the least of the least, you invite us into these places of authority and leadership and influence in our lives. God, that we have so many reasons that we could say, God, not me. Do you know where I'm from? Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been, God? And God speaks and looks through all of that and he says, just stand still and see the great things that I'll do before your eyes. If you'll just rest in me, rely on me, depend on me, constantly come back to me. Understanding that you will fail, but thankfully God says, Lord, you say that your mercies are new every day. God, I pray that we would constantly be reminded that there is no failure that brings us 
far enough from our calling. God, there is no position or place that we are that has disqualified us as your people, as your family. Father, give us the confidence to be the influencers and the leaders in our spaces that you've called us to be. Understanding we're broken and that we'll never try to be anything other than a broken people dependent on a faithful God. An imperfect people seeking a perfect God. Father, allow us to be confident in our calling. Lord, that each and every one of us has a place of influence that you've called us to step into. God, and I pray that we would do that. Lord, I pray we would begin to walk in that. Regardless of our biblical knowledge, God, regardless of our, our place in life, regardless of our past, God, that you have a calling right now for us to step into. God, let us step into that confidently. Lord, and if, if, if someone here this morning has not put their faith and trust in you to accomplish that, God, I pray that you would, you would continue calling them, Lord, and I pray they would respond in a place of, of, of repentance and belief and that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you'll do. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.